0: We are continuing this morning our Lent journey through the book and the gospel of Luke. And we arrived at a place um, where it's in chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of two people going to the temple to pray. And one is a Pharisee and the, one, the other one is a tax collector. And they go to the temple... And only one leaves the temple changed. And I will just invite you to watch this story, especially for the kids. So our sermon series is the gospel of the nobodies. You see, we have today a somebody going to the temple, the Pharisee. And then we have a nobody, the tax collector. And they go to the temple and pray. And I would like you to just look at the previous text, previous eight verses, the context of this parable. In chapter 18, Jesus gives us another parable And begins with a parable of what he calls the persistent widow. There is a widow who is a nobody pleading with a judge who is a somebody. And the teaching of that parable is that we should never quit praying. That we should keep on going on and praying and praying and praying. Never stop pleading with God. And this is one virtue that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. And today, it's still about prayer, but it's about public prayer. You see, if you want to eat a meal and have a beautiful meal, maybe today after you leave church, you you can have it at home. And you can have it in the privacy of your home. But if you want to be served, you may go to a restaurant. Because that's where you get food. If you want to listen to music, you can listen in the privacy of your home. But if you want to have live music, you might go to a concert hall. And if you want to pray in the privacy of your home, in your little room, you can do it at home. But if you want to pray in public with others, then you come to church. And public prayer is the topic that Jesus wants to teach us this morning. You see, he was a great man of prayer. In fact, he was so good... In praying that the disciples, at some point, they say, Jesus, Lord, Master, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray. And that's how we have the Lord's Prayer. He gave us the Lord's Prayer and basically said, This is how you should pray. You start praising God. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And that's how you should pray. But Jesus says, you know, when you pray... You should have a private prayer. In fact, he says, you should go into your room, close the door behind you, and pray to your Father who sees in those little rooms. And if you want to learn more about that prayer, I think that one of the best tools in the media is this movie called The War Room. War Room. War Room basically is about that little private prayer into your room where you go and you close the door and pray to your Father. It's all about prayer in private. We don't emphasize that this morning because the parable talks about public prayers. Praying being public in the church. You see, if you want to pray in the church, you have to go either to the temple, to the synagogue, or to the church. And today, we are here In the church. And I will invite you to read with me the text, Luke 18 from verse 9 to 14. Luke 18 from verse 9 to 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He will not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be justified. I'm sure that we all have patterns of prayer. And all of us grew up with some tradition of prayer. Those of you who never went to church with your family, you have no prayer tradition. But let me just tell you about my evangelical prayer back in Romania. When we went to pray in church in public places, we will do it from 8.30 in the morning on Sunday to 9.30, one full hour. And on this half of the church, just imagine that you have all of the boys and the men. On this other half, all of the girls and the ladies, the women. And we will just start with a song, worship, and then we will read a psalm, maybe a two minutes meditation, and then we will start with the first man in the row, and everybody will pray aloud one after another, and we will go like that, and then start with the second row, come back to reach here, and then to uh, to everybody else. And we were standing; we were not sitting like we do here. We were standing. Everybody was standing. And after we were done with the men, we will sit down, and as we were uh, sitting down on our chairs, we will sing another song, read maybe a few more verses from a psalm, and then start with the ladies, with Anita and Jerry and Heidi and everybody else. And we'll go again like that, row by row, standing. And you had to make sure that when you pray over there, Amy, right, Brother Joe and Steve hears you from the other side, because everybody had to say amen, and we tried to... Pay attention to what others are praying, but that was in Romania. We were standing for prayer, and it was the hour of prayer. Can you imagine when I went the first time in England, and we were at a dinner? And also in Romania, at a dinner, when you pray, you stand. So we were about to eat dinner in a family, and I had no idea that these are just customs, right? So they say, "Let's say grace." So I stand up and I wait for everybody to stand up and pray. And they look at me and everybody, were, they were waiting for me to sit and pray. And it took us like a few awkward moments. And then I realized something is wrong here, you know. Why they don't want to pray, right? You never know your cultural differences and traditions of prayer, prayers, you know. We had a nice meal anyway. It was delicious, I'm telling you afterwards. But you see, we all want to learn different patterns. And we learn from what we grow up with. About three years ago, I went to a prayer summit of our denomination in Los Angeles. This was at a big Korean church. And in this Korean church, we were there to learn how the Koreans pray. Every morning at 5.30, they have prayer in that church. That's a little bit, we will say, wow, right? It was fantastic, right? So we go in this morning at 5.30, we are in church. And the first half an hour is very much like our worship service. We start with a few songs. We worship God. We stand. We praise Him. At the end of those few songs, the scripture was read. A pastor comes and has like a 15-minute sermon. And then we start praying. And the first few rounds of prayer were for specific things, like saying, you know, let's pray for the sick, and then we'll mention a few. And we were just standing there, up, standing again, and we started to pray aloud at the same time. I've never done that before. So I was just imagine I was there, surrounded, prayer, prayers from behind, prayers from one side and the other. It was confusing. In the first few minutes, I couldn't even pray because I was listening to what are they saying, you know. And then we stopped, and then we pray for election or for other issues, you know. And then again, for three, four minutes, our voices were raised up and then come down and pray for the next and after maybe like 50, 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, the service was done. And they said, if you need to go home or to go to work, you are free to go to work. But if you want to stay and pray, you can pray individually. That was new for me too. They had a cross like this and the stage with steps like, like we do. So suddenly I saw a few of the people, There were elders who left their shoes by their pews and they went as close as they could to the cross. And some of them were couples, some of them were singles, and they would just go and kneel there. Or some of them just laid flat on the floor. Others were standing and they started to pray aloud again. And they said, you pray individually as long as you need. You wrestle with God. And you hear people screaming. Others were just whispering. Others were just beating their chest. Others were arguing. And you can stay there as long as you want. They dimmed all the lights by this time. And somebody was playing a nice in- instrumental music in the background at the piano. And that was an amazing experience to me. But here in the United States, we pray by sitting. you know, And we have this congregational prayer. But also we want to remind you that we have a prayer room. And all the time we say, if you came with burdens at church, make sure you make use of the prayer room. There are shepherd leaders who are going to be there waiting for you. Joining you to carry your burdens. To bring them before the Lord. So don't go home without leaving your burdens into the hands of Jesus. Make sure you use the prayer room. Every time you come here. So the story, the parable has two pers- two characters. There is one Pharisee, right? He's a Pharisee. Somebody extremely Religious, sophisticated in matters of faith. He is the one that preserved the Torah. The Torah was the five book of Moses, the teachings. And from a childhood, he memorized it. He is also following the Mishnah. The Mishnah are the interpretation of the Torah. So the Pharisee basically used the Mishnah to understand how to apply the Torah to their everyday life. That's why they had so many rules. They had so many rules. In many, many ways, he was a somebody in the religious society of the day. He was somebody to look up to, to admire. And then you have a tax collector on the other side, right? The tax collector was a Roman collaborator. He was working for the occupiers. He gave his soul to the Roman powers. He was not a trusted witness in the court of law. He could not say, well, I saw this or that. You know, His witness was zero. He had no ground. And he basically practiced becoming wealthy through legalized extortion. That was the tax collector. He was hated by the people, and basically, he was a nobody in the Jewish society. He was the unclean, the sinners. The Pharisees will not even touch them because they will become unclean. So you have these clashes, right? The Pharisee. And The tax collector, and maybe you sit here this morning and you say, You know what? I'm not super religious. Who I am like with, I am like, I'm not like the, the Pharisee, I'm not so sophisticated, I'm not, I'm not the person that has all the religious answers, I'm not a, an elder or a deacon in the church, a service leader, a shepherd leader, but I'm not also as bad as a drug dealer a bank robber, a criminal. And I will invite you to look deeper into this parable this morning with me, just to go deeper than this surface image. And the first thing we are going to look at is posture in prayer. Posture. What is our posture? How do we pray? What is is the position? You see... For the Pharisee, it was public performance. He was there to put up a religious show. For him, it was showing off to the others. He was dressed to impress. He was dressed. All his clothes, all of the phylacteries and all of the things that he had, the law and everything that was on him, basically was saying, I am a religious person. I worship God. I am holy. Follow me. I know the law. I know what God wants. I know how to get right with God. He was all about public acclaim, glory, being recognized in the community. And when he prayed, he wanted to be seen and heard by others. He said, "When I pray, you pay attention. I stay at the street corners. I stay in front of the synagogue. And when I go to the temple, I don't pray just because I pray. I pray that you will hear." He was all about the outward religion. And this is what Jesus says about these people. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. He says, do not be like them. Do not make your religion all about exterior. Just let the religion be deeper than facade. Than facade. Religion should be something better than just clothing and just a show. And then you have the tax collector who stood at a distance. He couldn't go as close as the Pharisee in the temple. Maybe he was in the court of the Gentiles with pagans. And maybe from a distance, he would not even look up to heaven. He couldn't look up to heaven, he looked down. And not only that, he was beating his chest, his chest. And he basically said, The hearth is the problem. My heart is the problem. Look at my heart, O Lord. And he wants to see God. He's there to seek God. Not to seek people, but to seek God. He believes that God can hear him. He's at the temple because he thinks, the Lord is going to listen to me. So for us today, when we look at these two characters, the question is, why are we here today? Why are you in church today? Why are you in public prayers? Are you here because you believe that God can hear you? Are you here because you think that he can listen to your heart? That he can pay attention to your cry? Are you here because you want to seek God, to seek His face, to connect with His spirit, to link yourself spiritually with this eternal God and Savior. Are you here because of these things, or maybe you say, you know, I am. I am here just because, because I need to to maintain my network. I, I, I just need to 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 know that i am still in the in the circle of friends if i don't come to church they will call me and say where were you today or maybe you wanted to even stay home this morning and you said well you look at each other and say well it's okay for us to stay but how about the kids you know so maybe you said we need to go to church so we don't be we don't give them a bad example or maybe because you are a teenager and your parents forced you to come. Or maybe it just because it helps your business. You know, it's good to mingle with people that, that can be business partners. And it's, it's helpful to do that. It's helpful to do that and to stay in touch with them. There was a different church. And one of the teenage church members... They, she invited a girl, a friend of her, who wanted to connect with God. And she said, come to my church. And her friend said, I will visit your church. So on this Sunday, she visited her church. It wasn't a church like Hillside. We are way better, way friendlier, way warmer. Okay, But it was a church in this country. And I found this letter as I was doing my sermon research. And uh, on Monday, after she visited the church, she wrote she wrote this letter to her friend. And I will just like you to listen to this letter. Dear Jane, she said. I attended your church yesterday. Although you had invited me, you were not there, so I sat alone. After sitting down, a lady came up and informed me that I was in her seat. (laughs) I was so embarrassed. Because I didn't know some seats were reserved. During the singing, I was surprised to know that some of the church people weren't singing at all. Instead, they looked around or just stared into space. The pastor's speech was interesting. Some uh, members didn't think so. They looked bored and restless. But I recognized some of my classmates, a few pews in the front of me. But they were giggling and passing notes. I thought, how rude. The speaker talked about the reality of faith, which I decided I didn't have enough of. The message really got me, and I thought about walking forward, but I wasn't sure. I saw some people walking out before the service was over, so I figured it must not be too important to stay to the end, so I slipped out too. My parents don't go to church. I came alone yesterday, hoping to find a place to truly worship and find some love. I'm sorry, but I didn't find it in your church. My prayer is today that people, when they come here, they will find in us the love of Christ. They will see among us the fellowship of His grace. And they will say, Jesus is here. And I see Jesus in each and every one of you. And that's our prayer, that we will grow warmer. That we will grow Warmer, in fact, at every meeting almost in our church, be it council or shepherd leaders or any. By the way, that was, I think, Amy's influence, right? (laughs) Saying, who did you meet? Did you meet somebody new? Because we want to always welcome visitors, newcomers, those who are new to faith and new to our church. So may we continue, I think, to grow in becoming a church where Jesus meets with each and every one of us. So posture, posture in prayer is important. But also attitude, attitude is important. And the first attitude that you see at this Pharisee is arrogance. Do you know that arrogance is very, very hard to deal with? It's even hard to talk about it because, you know, the moment you say, well, I'm not like the tax collector, what are you? Basically an arrogant, right? Right. It's so hard to talk about arrogance and pride because, like the Pharisee, we are unaware of our own arrogance and pride. The Pharisee stood by himself, and this is what he prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. That was more than God asked. He was doing more than the law asked. But do you see how many eyes are in this text? It's all about me. It's all about what I do. So basically he was saying, our Father who are in, fe- in heaven, I thank you that you made me. The world should have more of me. People like me. It's all about me. It's all about I. What I can do. Pride and arrogance. And then it's all about comparing yourself to others. I'm not like the others. Oh, Lord, God, do you see? I'm not like the others. The problem is always outside, but I'm not like. I'm an insider. It's well, those nobodies, but I am somebody. And the truth is, it's so easy to detect arrogance in others. You are with a group of friends, right? And you suddenly, you hear somebody just talk about themselves. You cannot even throw a word because it's all about I, what I did. What I could do. People that you feel, well, why? you know, I know the best. I am the smartest. I never go wrong. I'm always right. And it's so hard to detect in ourselves arrogance. So just think about how do you detect arrogance in yourself? Maybe this question will help. Do you, do you like to brag to compare yourself with others? Or maybe you say, do you see the faults in others? When you hear a name, somebody throws a name and says, hey, how about that guy? What is your first default? Just say, well, but, but but let me tell you something negative about, you know. Can you hear somebody praise somebody else in your presence and you will say, yeah. God can do good things through everybody. Not only through me. Pride, says the, the proverb, goes before destruction. An arrogant spirit before the fall. And the arrogant spirit of the Pharisee will not lead him far, 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 far. On the other side, you have humility. Look at the tax collector. He says, he stood at a distance. He will not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. And he said, God, can you see him? Can you see him? Look down. God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, God. He's seeking God's mercy. Do you know what he's saying, in fact? The word mercy there in that quote, God have mercy on me, is basically just imagine the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is like a coffin. And the Ark of the Covenant contained the law inside. The law, the tablets of the law. And basically, the word mercy there, it says the lead on the Ark of the Covenant is what's called the mercy seat. So the Ark of the Covenant was covered with the lead. And the people, the the high priest, will go once a year and sprinkle blood on that mercy seat, the blood of the Lamb. So basically, the tax collector said, Lord, take that lead and put a lead over me. The law kills me. If I look at me by the law, I should be destroyed. I should go to hell, basically. But would you please take the lead of mercy? Cover me with your mercy. There is nothing that I can do. The Pharisee, he says, I have my blankets, my quilts, my good works. But the tax collector says, no, I need your mercy. I seek your mercy. I unload my burden. I leave them here in the temple, at the church, at the cross of Jesus. I need to be forgiven. I need forgiveness than anything else. And when you have the assurance of forgiveness... You don't need anybody else's forgiveness and approval. When you know that God accepts you, loves you, and he died for you. And when you have that assurance that you are his child. You don't need to work. You don't need to to go back and say, I need to earn my righteousness. He asked for a new heart. He wants a new heart. He's in the temple because he said, this is my problem. This is my problem. It's deep down in my chest, in my breast. is my heart. The sin is right there. Humility. Humility. How do you get that humility? Are you desperate for God's love, for his mercy, for his forgiveness? Do you want that desperately? That's why we are here this morning. And are you convinced that only God can help you? There are other rituals that you can do. But they will not bring you a new heart. Only God can help you. You see, the prayer the prayer of the Pharisee is different than the prayer of the tax collector. And throughout the ages, the history of the church has developed this prayer of the tax collector into what we call the Jesus prayer. And it's used by the mystic tradition in the Eastern church where kind of that's where the tradition where I came from. And they change the word. They say, Lord Jesus, have Mercy on me, a sinner. And they say that this is the Jesus prayer that we should say throughout the day. And it's used by these monks, the mystic, the mystic fathers, to say it so often and so repeatedly, so much, so regular, that they say that after a while, your heart will be open. This prayer will open your heart to God. And you will experience him in what they call the prayer of the heart. When you and your heart is praying without ceasing, it's what they believe that the Apostle Paul gave us when he said, Pray without ceasing. And they say, If you want to get to that stage of communion with God, of experiencing God's love and His presence, you have to start with this prayer Jesus' prayers Oh Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, because I need your grace. And there is no other prayer that we want to say today. There is no other prayer that we want to say today than this one. Because Jesus says, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. This man went home justified before God. And then the big reversal. Do you see the reversal? The somebody becomes Nobody. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who are humble, who humble themselves will be exalted, is the big reversal. The somebody becomes nobody, and the nobody becomes somebody. Because when you come to God, it's all about attitude. It's all about what's in your heart. So the question for us this morning is, how do you leave? How do you go home? How do you go home? The two men who came to the temple, they went home. One went home justified and the other did not go home justified. He came and he left. He left just as he came. Can you believe? Some people go to church and they were going to the temple every day. So you don't want to leave, home, to, leave to go home unchanged. You can come to church Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and there's nothing changing in your, your heart, right? You don't want to do that. The invitation for us is to say like the tax collector, Lord Jesus, God, have mercy on me. My heart is the problem. My sin is the problem. My problem is not with the others, not judging, Not, not it's inside. I need to be forgiven. Would you leave this place forgiven? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, take every sin that is in my heart, everything that is about me, sinful, corrupted, Every sinful thing, every misery, every blot, every transgression, every evil thought, every action, and just clean me. Give me your justification, approval, forgiveness. I need to be forgiven. I need a new heart. I need a new mind. I need to be washed and justified. And that's how I want to go home. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for we have hope in Christ Jesus. And this morning we ask that you will bless us with your mercy. That you will cover us with, this, with a seat, with a lead of mercy. And in Jesus Christ, that you will receive us as you receive this tax collector. And we want to go home justified, accepted, included, approved in Christ Jesus, adopted. With the assurance of that forgiveness of sins, we leave this place and we give you thanks. Amen. Would you please stand and receive the greeting, uh, the blessing of the Lord? As we go from this place, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And may the Lord give you his peace. You may go in peace. Amen.